Hey everyone, Pastor Alex here. I just want to take a moment and welcome you to the Sunswept Baptist Church podcast. Our vision at Sunswept Baptist Church is to be a church where everybody is somebody and Christ is all. If you're interested in visiting our church or getting more information, visit sunswepbaptist.org. Well, good morning again. Go ahead and take out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119. That's where we're going to be this morning is Psalm 119. I'm so thankful that you're here with us. I love the start of a new year. I guess it's probably the type A nature of who I am and just the, here you go. Just the, I don't know, getting to, it feels like a fresh start, doesn't it? And all of us, I think, after maybe the year you had in 2021 or maybe 2020, we all sometimes look for a fresh start, don't we? And I I would just tell you, um, our world right now loves self-help. They love making New Year's resolutions. You hear about it all the time. But I'll just tell you this, really, unless you've given your life to Christ, your New Year's resolutions won't last. The goals you make in this life, they'll be short-lived. We all know that. We've made resolutions every year, and how often do they really pan out? Not a lot. But goals that are made with Christ at the center, and if Christ has changed your life, he's the one who actually brings lasting change. Well, let me start out by asking you a question this morning. If I were to ask you, what is Sunswept Baptist Church, what might be some things that come to your mind? Some characteristics. You might say, we're a group of people that are following Jesus together. And that, that would be true. We definitely are that. You might say we're a social club. We come together, we hang out, we have the commonality that we all love Jesus and we want to know him and we love the Bible. You know, that would be true. There are definitely some social aspects. You might say we're just a group of friends or maybe even a step further, we're a family. And we definitely do have family aspects here at this church, which I love. From a world's perspective, the world might look at us and say, you know, church is a religious crutch, you don't really need it, or it's just a bunch of Looney Tunes who think a guy rose from the dead and he's coming back again, and that is definitely sometimes how the world views us. But the question of who are we, what are we, is fundamental to us as a church. I think the two most important questions we could ask as a church is, who is God, and then who are we in light of our answer to that first question? Who is God And who are we because of who we think God is? And we answer that first question every single week. Who is God? What has he commanded us to do? What does his word say about him? That's the driving force of the messages is who is God? Because I believe fundamentally if we know who God is, it will change our lives. If we encounter the living God, it will bring about life change. But when it comes to the second question of who are we in light of who God is, we need to know that as a church. Who are we going to be? What is Sunswept Baptist Church going to be remembered for? Now here's what we know about life. You become what you value, don't you? You become what you value. If you value family, you become a family man or a family woman. If you value diet and exercise, which on January, what is it, third, everyone values diet and exercise, but I'm pretty sure if I offered all of you ice cream afterwards, we'd probably still eat it. But if you value diet and exercise, what do you do? You become someone who is really healthy. 
If you value the news and keeping yourself informed, you become a person who is really well informed, for better or worse, about what is or isn't going on around the world. But we know, ultimately, what you become is based on the things that you value. Your values drive who you become. And the same thing is true for us as a church. Our values will drive who we are as a church. The things we value as a church body will determine who we are going into the future. You see, you can look at any church across the board of churches, across denominations, and you can see what their values are based on who they have become. So if you have a really unhealthy church that is full of disunity, that is distracted from the mission of God, that is not growing, that is not reaching people, you can tell they valued the wrong things. And that led to this disunity. If you have a church that maybe they're reaching hundreds and maybe thousands and thousands of people, but there's no discipleship, and so their faith is a mile wide and an inch deep, you can see they valued the wrong things. So our values as a church will drive who we are going to become. So as I have spent time praying and talking with some of the leaders in the church, just trying to think about what are our values? Because we know from a 10,000-foot level what our values are, don't we? We know we value the Word of God. We know we value discipleship. We know we value evangelism. But how do you, how do you communicate that? How do we stick our flag in the stake and say, this is what we are. These are the things we're going to value. And I came down to three things. The first is theological clarity. Our church values theological clarity. Now, what does that mean? Well, theology broken down is just the study of God. In other words, we want to know what is it we believe based on the Bible. We have to be driven by what the Bible says. We're not here just to hear some guy's opinions. You don't need my opinions. You don't need other people's opinions. You need the Word of God, right? So we value theology, which is just the study of God based in His Word. But we also value clarity. It does us no good if it's so heady, so intellectual, that it can't be communicated to anybody else. Because what are we commanded to do? To take the word of God around the world. It has to be clear. We have to be clear now more than ever about what it is we believe. And we can't be clear on something that we don't even understand. So we value theological clarity. The second one is gospel communities. We value gospel communities. Now what is this? This is much more than just Sunday morning Sunday school. It's much more than just a Sunday morning service. It means that as a community of people, we are rooted and grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now why is that so important? Because we have communities around our city, around our world, that are based on something. You have affinity groups that are based on hunting or fishing or certain music types or a certain color of skin or what you like to eat or drink or whatever. We have communities based on a lot of different things. But what the grounding, the foundational component of our community is, is something that transcends every external thing this world has to offer, and that's Jesus' blood. What unites you and I closer together than any friends or any family is the blood of Jesus. So it doesn't matter what color your skin is, how much money you have, what your job is. That's irrelevant when it comes to our unity because what the foundation of our community is, is the gospel. So that means when we interact with one another, we live out the gospel. We live out the mercy, the compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus with one another. The gospel is what brings us together and we live out the gospel in community. 
But what we see in the New Testament, we're going to get into this more next week. What we see in the New Testament is a gospel community is one that multiplies. It's one that replicates. It doesn't stagnate. It doesn't stay the exact same, us four, no more. It grows and multiplies into a movement of God. That is a gospel community. So if we're going to be a church of gospel community, we're going to be a church that is growing, a church that is evangelizing and seeing people come to know the Lord. Which leads us to the third value we're going to talk about in this, which is a kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset. It is not about Sun Sweat Baptist Church. Our goal as a church, our goal as Christians, is not about us. It's not about our growth. It's not about our preferences. It's not even about how many people can we possibly get here on Sunday morning. My goal as your pastor is not for us to hold, to create a bigger holding tank for Christians. Our job, our goal when it comes to missions, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to discipleship, is ultimately to see people deployed into doing kingdom work, to see more churches planted, to see more churches revitalized and helped grown back to healthy again. Our goal as Sunsweat Baptist Church is not to become the biggest church in Union City. It's to become the church that is so focused on kingdom work that we're constantly sending people out to do kingdom work, to do missions, to do evangelism. It's not about us. The kingdom of God is not about Sunsweat Baptist Church. It is about seeing God's glory expanded across the globe. So that's missions, that's evangelism, that's outreach, that's discipleship. All of these things come from our values. So what, what, are, what are our values going to be? Theological clarity, gospel communities, and a kingdom mindset. So I just threw at you in the last about three minutes everything we're going to talk about over the next three weeks. Um, and I, I think the, the reason we're starting this right now is because it's going to set the trajectory of who we already are in a lot of ways, but also who we are, who we're going to continue to be and grow into because churches are never going to stagnate. We never stay in the exact same place that we've been before or are going to be. We are people in progress. God is growing each of us differently, isn't he? He's growing you in your faith. You're not the same person you were 10 years ago. In 10 years from now, you're going to be a different person than you are right now. Not fundamentally, but if you're a believer, God is going to grow you. And in the same way, he's going to refine our church and conform us into a more healthy and pure church. And so these three things that I just brought up are going to be somewhat of the driving force behind the language you hear me sharing from the pulpit. And so it's foundational for us to understand what these three things are. So we're going to break them down each week. The first one today is going to be theological clarity. But just for review's sake, um, theological clarity, gospel communities, and a kingdom mindset. And today we're going to talk about theological clarity. You've already heard me allude to this some, which is what do you believe as a Baptist? Why are you a Baptist? What do you believe as a Baptist? And more fundamentally, what do you believe as a Christian? If we're going to be more than a social club, or if we're going to be more than an affinity group, we have to know what we believe. We have to know what we believe. We have to know what God's word says about who he is. So here's, here's a definition of theological clarity. We're going to be a church that explains and lives out. That's a key thing explains and lives out our biblical convictions with irreducible clarity. 
That word irreducible there is so important because we're not just going to water, we're not watering down what we believe, we're not dumbing down the gospel. We are going to share clearly with irreducible clarity what it is we believe. But we have to know what we believe in order to do that. We cannot do anything as a church unless we know what it is we believe, the theology driving what we do. Those beliefs will drive the decisions we make, will drive the missions that we do. This drives everything. And so if we don't know this, we're never going to be successful as a church. This has to be the grounding component. So theological clarity is going to be seen in two different spheres this morning. The first is personal theological clarity. You have an obligation as a Christian to know God's word yourself. I have that same obligation too. But then the second sphere is corporate theological clarity. What do we believe as a church? How do we communicate that to a lost and dying world? But like I said, you have a personal mandate from God to know the Bible, to know his word, to be a person of his word. And you might be sitting there and thinking, well, Alex, I've never been in his word before. I've never had the discipline or the rhythm of getting in God's word. And I would just say as lovingly as possible, you have two options. One option is to start, to just start. And I'll help you. We'll help you as a church. That's what we're here for, to start and help you get in God's word. That's one option is just to start. The second option is is to continue in disobedience and miss out on the gift that God has for you in his word. But if I was you, I'd really want to start because I'm a testimony that this has changed my life. This has changed my life. And to miss out on this is to miss out on an incredible gift of God. So you have a personal conviction to be theologically clear, and we need to be theologically clear as a church. So here's the main point for this morning's message, and that is this, to ground yourself in the Word of God. To ground yourself in the Word of God. So let's look at Psalm chapter 119, starting in verse 9. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you would make us a people of your word people who are deeply driven by our convictions in your word um, and will live out those convictions to a lost and dying world. God, the world does not need our opinions. The world doesn't need our techniques. They need you. That comes from your word. And if we don't know your word, how in the world are we going to reach them? So God, make us people of your word this morning. Start something in us this morning, a fire that can't be extinguished, a desire for your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, let's look here at uh, verse 9 first. Um, How we're going to do this a little bit different this morning than other sermons that I normally preach. We're going to look at verse 9 as kind of a foundational thesis for the rest of the message and then getting to three really practical ways on how you yourself can be a person of the word. So verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. It is so hard to be holy, isn't it? It's so hard. It's so hard to remain faithful to God. We live in a world 
It's, nothing, it's not new to us, but we live in a world that is constantly inundated with temptations. Constantly trying to pull you away, allure you to the things of this world to sin. And then on top of that, we have an enemy that is actively working against us. And you throw into the mix on top of that, that you are by nature a sinner. And you put all of those things together. And it just kind of leaves you wondering, how in the world am I going to stay pure? Have you ever felt that way? I know I have felt that way. How in the world am I supposed to do it? You can't. I can't. None of us can. That's why the solution here, when the psalmist says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to God's word. We guard our purity, we guard our holiness by the word of God. We will never live lives of holiness unless we are in God's word. We'll never live lives of holiness unless we're in God's word. One theologian said, because of mankind's natural propensity to sinful behavior, true purity and true holiness will never come until we submit to God, which comes through submission to his word. So just from the outset, if we're not theologically clear, if we're not in God's word, if we're not submitting to his word, our holiness and purity as a people and you individually will never happen. We'll never be pure and faithful people without the word of God. So here's what this means for you individually as a Christian. The solution to your temptation is not you just gritting your teeth and trying harder. The solution to your temptation is not to, in your own power, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and just get after it. The solution to our temptation is to dig deeper into the word of God and apply that to our lives to dig deeper into the scriptures. The solution to our temptation is a greater view of who God is and his goodness. Because when you know the goodness of God more, you see sin for what it really is. The despicable sickness of sin for what it really is. Because you know Satan lies to you, right? Isn't that how he gets us started on sin? Oh, it's not a big deal. No one will ever find out. It'll give you the fulfillment exactly what you need. It'll feel so good, just go ahead and do it. But when we're in the scriptures... It guards our hearts, guards our minds. So when that lie comes, you're like, it's not true. It's not true. God's word says what is true. So if we want to know how do we stay pure personally, you have to be in here. This is, this is the first step for the Christian. If you're not a Christian, the first step is to know Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and allow him to transform your life. But if you're a believer, you want to live pure and obedient to God, it won't happen until you're in this. I can promise you that. So that's, that's from a personal perspective, but as a church, uh, flip over to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. I picked this passage because I think it could serve as a warning to us on how severe this really is, this topic really is. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 7, Paul says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So here's what had happened at the church at Galatia. They had fallen into this. Some of these false teachers had come in and started saying, you need to follow the Old Testament law again. You need to do all of these things that Jesus fulfilled. They were adding to Scripture, teaching things that were wrong. And the church at Galatia was kind of pulled away into false doctrine. And I love what he says here, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It just takes a little bit. If we're not careful to be pulled away into the things of the world. 
If we're not careful as a church, it takes just a little bit for us to slip into dangerous waters. We must be a church of theological clarity because if we are not, we will be just like the church at Galatia. And Paul or whoever will be saying to us, what happened? What happened? We must be a church of theological clarity because there are major dangers that we have as a church. Um, A few that I think are very prevalent. One is false doctrine. False doctrine meaning deviating from historical Christian orthodoxy, biblical Christian faith into something that feels more good and is less offensive. That's what we see a lot of churches doing today. But can I just be totally honest with you for a second? I mean, I'm always honest with you, so I don't know why I'm asking your permission. Um, Our church is not going to be a church that comes out and says the Bible's not God's word. Our church is not going to be the church that comes out and says Jesus isn't the Son of God or He didn't rise from the grave. That's, that's, not, that's not who we are. You wouldn't be here if, if, that, if that's what you thought, probably. I mean, you're welcome if you do think that, but we'll have a conversation after service. What's much more realistic, though, is you can tell our false doctrine by our lack of faith. You can tell our false doctrine by our lack of commitment to the mission of God. Remember, what you value drives what you become your theology drives what you become too. So for people who don't value this, for people who don't value the mission of God, for people who don't value evangelism, for people who don't value or trust God, then we're just as heretical as the Galatians. We're just as heretical as a church that teaches damnable heresy. Our doctrine is seen in how we act. And so if our actions are not biblical, we've got false doctrine we need to root out of our lives. So the first danger is false doctrine, but the second would be dissension, not remaining unified together and allowing external things to divide us. We cannot do that. We have to guard our unity with the Word of God and keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is not decorations or style of music or what people wear. That's not the main thing. The main thing is the mission of God. And the moment we take our eyes off of that, I can guarantee you we will slide into disunity and that will divide our church. We have to protect our unity, not with how can we handle these conversations better or you know, maybe we just need to not invite this person to this thing. No, we guard our unity with the Word of God. We guard our unity by being people of the Word. But the third danger for us as a church is apathy. Apathy. Apathy meaning we just simply don't care. We can do whatever we want. We just don't care. We just want to come and consume on Sunday morning. We just, just let us, just let us be. Apathy will kill us faster than anything else. Now, we might last a while. We might live on life support as a church, but apathy is a dagger to the heart. It'll kill us. And apathy is birthed out of a loss of desire to be people of this, to be people of God's word. See, what always precedes apathy is a lack of natural rhythm in your life to be a person of the word and of prayer. If, if you personally don't seek God, you'll become apathetic. It's not like you're in the word every single day, you're praying every day, you're spiritually disciplined. I mean, not, no one is perfect, but it's not like you're doing really well and then you wake up one day and you say, you know what? I'm kind of done with this whole Christian thing. I'm just going to just kind of come to church on Sunday mornings and see people and say face and all of that. No, it starts with a slow fade of not being a person of the word. 
So why do we need theological clarity as a church? Because we face false doctrine, we face dissension, and we face apathy. But those, all three of those things are rooted out and then guarded if we guard our church according to God's word. Please, please hear this. We will never, 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 never drift towards healthiness as a church. That's not how it works. We don't drift towards healthiness. Because we're sinful people, we drift towards unhealthiness. We'll drift that direction towards unhealthiness. So how do we keep our church healthy and then even pursue a greater and more faithful health? By being theologically clear. By being in God's word. If we're in God's word and we're people of the word, we will become a healthier church. Because we're a great church. I love our church a whole lot. I really love our church. But I think we could all agree there's always ways to be healthier, isn't there? There's always ways to be healthier. And so it's not like our church has fallen apart, but I want greater health. And I would assume as a member, you want our church to be healthier too. That'll come when we are people of the word. So what is your role in all of this? What, what can you do? What is my role in being theologically clear? Well, I'll just tell you, as the pastor, I promise and covenant with you that I will always teach and preach the Bible alone. You don't need me, okay, to share my opinions. You don't need me to share my thoughts with you. We need Scripture alone. We need God's Word. So I'll always teach and preach the Bible, and then the leadership will always lead with the foundational and driving force being God's Word. Not our opinions or our wisdom, but God's Word. But then you as the members, I need something from you. We need something from you as a church, and that's to be a person of the Word be a person who is in the word, studying God's word, loving God's word, feasting on the bread of life that is the word of God. The reality is this, I can preach biblical sermons till I am blue in the face, and I do, and I will, and I'll continue doing that, but it won't mean a thing if we're not people of the word. If you're not in the word during the week, my 30 to 40 minute sermons on Sunday morning aren't going to cut it for you. You've got to be in the word during the week. You've got to take ownership of your faith and get in the Word. And when we're a church that is, there are people of the Word that are full of people who are striving after God day after day, week after week, we'll see a much healthier church than even we are right now. That's your role. Be a person of the Word. The reality is the church will not grow or become healthier because of me. It'll grow and become healthier when we humble ourselves before God and seek His face through being people of the Word being people that are in his word. So how can you do this? Because that's really the million dollar question. We know we get it. It's important to be people of the word. But how do we do it? Well, I've got three practices here for you really quickly from Psalm 119. The first is this. We have to internalize scripture. We have to internalize scripture. Look back here at verses 11 through 12. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And then skip down to verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Reading scripture, the study of scripture is not merely an intellectual exercise. It's not only about information transfer. Get this in your minds. We value life transformation over information transfer because you're going to learn the Bible. If you're in the Bible, you're going to learn the Bible. But it's not just about learning. It's about life change. It's got to make that 18 inches from your brain down to your heart. And if it does that, it'll affect your hands. 
It'll affect what you do, what you think about, what you desire. If you're a person that internalizes Scripture, not as an intellectual exercise, but for the purpose of life transformation, we will become a theologically clear church. You'll be a person of the Word. So how do you do this? Well, he says here in the psalm, um, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So the first principle in this practice is meditate on God's Word. Now, is this like what the Buddhists might do with meditation where they just sit quietly? No, that's not the kind of meditation he's talking about here. You see, biblical medita- meditation is different from secular meditation in that secular meditation says, empty your mind of all your thoughts, try to become as peaceful and calm as possible. But the Bible says, yeah, you need to empty yourself of your thoughts, but it's not by just pursuing silence. It's by filling your mind with the thoughts of God, by being a person who is thinking deeply and purposefully about the Word of God. You see, you'll never become a person of the Word if you just get up each morning and you read a couple of verses and you move on and never think about it again. We're called to meditate on Scripture. Think about it deeply. Think about what does it teach you about God? What, is it, what does it teach you about people? What does it teach you that you need to do with your life and application? Scripture is so full of things like that. If we want to be people of the Word, we have to meditate on it. But then we can't miss this. He says in verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Memorization is something that intimidates me. It intimidates so many people. It's a hard thing for me to do. It does not come naturally. But if we work at it, God is graceful. To redeem uh, our ability to memorize. If you're never, you might not ever memorize like the whole book of Jeremiah. But we, we can all work towards memorizing a couple verses that will encourage us and help us live holy during the week. You know, it starts small. Start with, a, start with your favorite verse and just work on memorizing that. And if it takes you a month, if it takes you six months, if it takes you a year, that's okay. But we have to be people who memorize and commit the scriptures to our hearts. Um, and I love what the psalmist says here. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It goes back to what I said earlier. The solution to your temptation is not greater effort on your part to become a person of this. When you store up the Bible in your heart, you will be able to fight temptation. That's what Jesus did, right? When he was tempted. When Jesus was tempted, he spoke scripture to Satan. If the Son of God, creator of all things, had to do that to fight temptation... How much more do you and I need to memorize Scripture to fight temptation and live holy lives? But we have to internalize Scripture. When we internalize Scripture, our affections, our heart are changed, and we begin to live transformational, different lives than we did before. You'll never live a holy life. You'll never live a transformed life in the gospel until you internalize Scripture, until we as a church internalize Scripture. So that's the first practice. The second practice is we need to learn Scripture. We need to learn it. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how much Bible you think you know, and I hope you know a lot, you still need to learn. We still need to learn. Whether you've been a Christian for six months, four years, 50 years, 150 years, there is still more to learn. There's still more to learn. One of my favorite things about the Bible is no matter how much I study it, every time I come back, there's always more to learn. Always more. It's a wealth of biblical wisdom and knowledge and glory of God that our whole lifetime spent studying it will only scratch the surface. We always have more to learn. 
But I, I think in a lot of ways in Christian culture, we have lost the ability to learn. We have lost the heart of Christian learning. And unless we recover that, we will not be people of the word. Instead of being Christian thinkers and Christian learners, we have become churches of Christian consumers. And the result of that is theologically anemic churches that don't know what they believe. We have to be Christian learners. God never called you to be simply a consumer of the word. Simply intaking information and keeping it up here. If he did, your brain would simply be a memory bank and not an ability to think. He gave you a brain to think and learn and study scripture. Not so you could, you know, talk really eloquently about the doctrine of the Trinity or be able to break down every minute detail of things we see in scripture, but so you can be someone who grows in their knowledge and love for the word and ability to explain it to other people. We're all at different points, but I'll tell you this. Um, I got a lot of times we think of the Christian scholars or the seminary professors or whatever. Those are the people who really know scripture. I mean, we're no Christian scholars or anything. We don't, you know, translate all this stuff from Greek and Hebrew. But I'll tell you this, just from personal testimony, I, I've been to seminary. But the people I've learned the most from were not in the seminary classroom. They were from seeing people who have faithfully been following Christ for three or four times my lifetime. Those are the people who really know the word and can live it. And so no matter where you are, no matter what your education level is, no matter how much you love to read or don't like to read, we need to be Christian learners. We need to be people who learn. One theologian said, And thus it happens that not a few men are blind when surrounded with the clear revelation of this doctrine because confident in their own insight, they deny the internal illumination of the Holy Spirit. Farther, let us learn from this passage that none are possessed of such superiority of intellect as not to admit need of constant increase. In other words, none of us ever arrive to the point to where we think, yes, I have figured out the Bible, I don't need to learn anymore. And the day you get to that point will be the day you miss the clearest, most obvious doctrine in Scripture because your pride has blinded you. We need to be people who learn the Bible, not just internalize it, but learn it. Seek to learn how to read it better, how to interpret it more faithfully. You know, we live in a very complex cultural moment right now. A very complex, ethically, very challenging time in our lives. If people 100 years ago knew half the stuff that we deal with now ethically, it would totally blow them away. So now more than ever, we need to be people who know how to apply Scripture relevantly to our culture. We need to be people who really know the Word who really know how to apply God's word to our lives. One of the biggest questions in Christian culture is how does the church stay relevant? Have you heard that before? I've heard that a bunch. How, does, how, does, how in the world is a church supposed to stay relevant? Well, I'll tell you, what will keep the church relevant is not changing this message. What will kill our relevancy is if we say, you know what, this is not true. We don't need this anymore. We'll kind of make up our own way. Then there's no need for the church anymore. What will keep us relevant is if we are people who know this so well and we know how to apply it to people's lives, that's what people need. People are looking for answers to their brokenness. People are looking to an for answers for this lack of fulfillment, this need they know they have for something greater. And unless we know the word, unless we're learners of the word, we'll never be able to apply it to their lives. So how can you learn? How can you learn? How can you be a Christian 
learner, where the first practice is meditation. It goes right back to what I said earlier. Just be someone who really thinks about the word. I love when Jesus says, you know, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. God gave you a brain, and it's awesome. Use it for his glory. Well, be someone who learns the word. It's not about knowing all the theological jargon. It's about just knowing this. Just knowing what God's word says and being someone who wants to learn more of it every single day until you are brought into eternity with him. Be someone who learns. The second is actively engage in discipleship opportunities at the church. One of the most amazing things about church ministry is you're not meant to learn by yourself. You get to learn with all of us because we're all still learning. We're a community of learners of the Bible wanting to learn how to study and apply it more faithfully to our lives. So actively engage in the discipleship opportunities at our church, which one of them you're doing right now. So hats off to you, gold star for all of you today. You're engaging in a discipleship opportunity right now, and that's great. But you need more than this. Get in a small group. Get with a group of people that you can discuss Scripture with. I think... um, in a lot of ways, we, we view Christianity and discipleship as everybody facing this direction, looking at, looking at me as I preach the word uh, with you and to you. But really, discipleship happens when we stop facing this direction and we face inward to each other. We're holding one another accountable. We're discussing the Bible together. That's where the bread and butter of discipleship is. So if you're not in a small group or in a group like that, I would really encourage you, come talk to me after the service or, or talk to Joe, and we will get you in a small group and get you involved in a Sunday school class because that is where a lot of Christian learning happens. So one of the biggest pushbacks I hear on this point is one of, I guess what I would call maybe self-deprecation of, I could never do that. I'm either too old or don't have enough education, or I've never been much of a reader, and so I could never be a Christian learner. Let me just encourage you for a second. If you are a believer in Christ, you have all you need to be a Christian learner. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. You have a copy of God's Word, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word, come see me after service. You'll leave with one today, and you have um, the ability to read it. You have the Holy Spirit, you have the Bible, and you have your brain. You have all you need to be a Christian learner. And regardless if you're much of a reader or not, God will bless that effort. God will bless the effort of you desiring to learn his word. One of my favorite verses in scripture is when when God says, those who seek me will find me. He's not hiding from you. If you seek him and want to learn his word, He'll teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you who gave you a church to teach you. The question is, do you have the heart of a learner? And I think we, we all definitely need that, which means we've got to check our pride at the door and walk in humility. So the third practice is we need to teach Scripture. If we want to be people of the Word, we've got to teach Scripture. So when you interact with the Scriptures, you cannot keep it to yourself. You've got to share it with others. God calls us to delight in the Scriptures, to delight in His Word. If we look here at... Psalm 119, let's see here. Yeah, verse 14, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. 
If we really delight in the scriptures, we're going to talk about it with others. We're going to teach it to others. And if the word teach makes you uncomfortable or something like that, think of it more as influence. We are all called to influence others with the word of God. And all of us have some level of influence in our lives, whether it's your kids, your grandkids, your family, your coworkers. We all have a sphere of influence. And if we delight in the scriptures, we will teach it or influence or talk to others about the scriptures. God calls us to teach others the word. You know, teaching comes in many different shapes and forms. And this is one way of teaching. A a Sunday school class or a small group is another way of teaching. But you know the most common way of teaching? Everyday conversation. When you're talking to your coworker over lunch and he's having or she's having a really hard time and you share scripture with them and encourage them and share the gospel with them, that's teaching. You're showing others the goodness of God that you've experienced yourself. We have to be willing to teach scripture. Many of us, though, don't do this, not because we're afraid of teaching, but because we are not people of the word and so we have nothing to share. But when you become a person of the word, it will overflow into the rest of your life. You know, we talk about what we love. I feel like almost every single one of my sermon illustrations comes back to Bria in some way. Why do you think that is? Because I love her, and so I talk about her. In the same way, if you love the Bible, you're going to talk about the Bible. If you love God, you're going to talk about God. It might be hard at first, but the more you delight in this, the more easy it comes. So I guarantee you, if you do those first two practices of getting in the Word, you know, learning it, you're going to be someone who teaches it. You're going to be someone who talks about it. So let's review just for a second because we have talked about a lot today. I've thrown a lot of information at you. So I want to kind of try to tie this up and put a nice bow on it and send you home with a present because it's kind of Christmas still. So the first practice, to be people of the word, you have to internalize scripture. Don't just read it, internalize it. Let it make the 18 inches from your mind down to your heart, out to your hands. Internalize scripture. The second practice, if you want to be a person of the word, is learn scripture really learn it. Seek to learn it. And if you want some good resources on maybe how to learn at home on your own, come talk to me. I'll show you some really great things that you can get that'll help you learn it even more effectively. But don't let that be the thing like, oh, I don't have all the tools, so I guess I can't learn. No. You've got, if you're a believer, you've got the tools you absolutely need. You've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the Word, you've got your brain to read it. Let the Spirit do its work. He'll, he'll work in you and help you learn the Scriptures. The third practice was teach the Scripture. Don't keep it to yourself. So from a personal standpoint, if we individually as a church do these things, we'll be a church that is theologically clear. We'll be a church that really is full of people of the word. But from a church perspective, from a corporate perspective, what you can expect is a fierce conviction, fundamental belief that God's word is sufficient for everything that we need in regards to faith and practice of our faith. So you're going to hear a lot of Bible teaching and preaching. You're going to hear a lot of small groups, lessons that are based on the Bible, which is amazing because we're already doing that. We're already doing that. But the moment we stop, we'll drift into worldliness and drift into unhealth. At the end of the day, we want to be a church of theological clarity. I want to be a person of theological clarity, and I think you probably do too. You want to know what you believe, and you want to know how to communicate that to people who are lost and dying. That's what the world needs, isn't it? 
So we have to know how to do that. And at the end of the day, we want to be a church that is theologically clear because Scripture is theologically clear. Scripture is clear on how to be made right with God. Scripture is clear on the purpose we have as a church. And Scripture is clear on what will happen if we refuse to walk in obedience to God. You ever heard of the church at Laodicea? In Revelation, I've just finished reading through Revelation again. And the church at Laodicea always strikes me. Because what does Jesus say? You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. Useless. What does Jesus say about the salt that's lost its saltiness? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out. Please hear me in love. If we're not a church that is theologically clear and built on the Bible... We are lukewarm and we're salt that has lost its saltiness. If you want to be a person who is salty, person who is not lukewarm, start by getting in this. Start by getting in his word. And he'll bring about you a fire and affection for him that is contagious to others. So let's strive together in partnership with one another, to be people of the word that are theologically clear. Because when that happens, and it already is happening in a lot of ways, but as we even grow into healthier and more faithful discipleship, God will and is going to do something amazing in our midst. One of my favorite passages, I'll end with this, is in Deuteronomy, when um, Moses is talking about the people of Israel, and he says, the surrounding nations are going to look at Israel and say, God is really among them. When we're people of theological clarity, people will look at us and say, God is really among them. Let's pray together.